I was 15 years old at this time. I am now 16. I am a very experienced drug user. I have tested and tried multiple different things, especially psychedelics. L and D have done acid and shrooms a few times, and 2CB once with me. They're a little bit experienced, but they were not ready for what this night held for all of us. I am making the story of one of my most recent psychedelic experiences, an experience that changed who I am forever. This story is not to glorify the use of drugs, any type, but by my own experiences, it made me look at life much more positively. Also, I wanted to say, if you have ever contemplated any kind of suicide, talk to your family and friends that you trust. If you don't have that, I promise there is a way out of that thinking, and someone in this horrible crew world does care about you, like myself. I don't know who you are, but I do care about you. So let's get to this. It happened July 18th, 2021. Keep in mind, this is the same day my brother committed suicide just two years later. I wish I can go back in time and be more wise and take less drugs and figure out what went wrong. To this day, I really have no clue what did go wrong. It was supposed to be a fun and trippy night. For my friend that I will call L for this story, there were many different factors to why this was a bad trip for him. For me too, technically. It was a horrible trip but a learning experience nonetheless. I remember so many parts of this like it was yesterday. I get what is called flashbacks every other week. It is not excessive, but it is still there. To be 100% honest, this experience has never stopped me to use it again. I just want to see what happens, you know? So to the time we took these drugs, I had my two friends L and D come over and I'm full on all kinds of drugs, LSD, shrooms, crystal molly, 2CB, and weed. We were smoking all day, and we had a plan to use the LSD, shrooms, and 2CB at a certain time. 10 p.m. hits, I take 10 tabs of LSD, a quarter of shrooms, and like 60 milligrams of 2CB with 0.4 grams of crystal molly. I let L&D only take like 3 tabs and a lot of shrooms and a bit of 2CB. We were just chilling for 20 minutes, then the shit started kicking in at 10.30 and I'm tripping balls. I'm looking at my boys, like, yo, this is gonna be so much fun. Last thing I remember from 10 to 11 is I was looking at the hair on D's leg and it was squiggling and wiggling in all kinds of directions. I have no clue how to explain what I was looking at, but it was just so weird. After 11, apparently I disappeared for what seemed like forever, as they described it, and I never came back. L was looking for more shrooms, asking D, will he kill us? For some reason, L was so convinced that I was going to kill him because he took more without asking me, and he knew that all of everything there was all mine. All he brought was like two carts. So L was asking D if they should take more, and they did at some point, but L eventually started to have a panic attack because he was scared I was going to kill him for some reason. I'm still nowhere to be found this whole time. D, who was calm the entire trip, claimed he saw me just melt more and more into a couch the more he looked. Then eventually, I just disappeared. I'm nowhere to be found. I think at that time I was laying in my living room, 
they ate more shrooms. Dee told me months later that I was gone and that Al was going crazy at the time and apparently said, I'm fucking done with this shit. And then he decided to run with the wind, as we both said apparently. A note on what L told me. While in the basement, he was convinced he was in a forest and saw animals running around him and just circling all over him. And the most notable thing Dee had saw, the calm one, said he went up the stairs from my basement slowly. Like he said it took him a minute to get up the stairs, and as he's going up the stairs, he feels like he's a lot higher than the staircase is. Then he goes to the door. I'm pretty sure he left it open. I'm not 100% sure. But he said he saw it closed. Then it just swung open. And as soon as it did, he said he saw a black figure with its hands out meditating on the floor. And as soon as he saw that, he turned around and went back downstairs. He said the figure was also waving for him to go over there, but he did not listen to it. As far as I know, he could have saved the whole trip of ours because of that hallucination. I'm going to go back to L's experience. The moment he said he was done with this shit, he just ran as fast and as far as he could, up the stairs, then out of the front door. At that moment, I believe I was still laying on the floor. He kept running and running until people heard him screaming, sleep to stay alive. Keep in mind, my house has cameras and a ring that goes off if any front or back door is opened when it should not be opened. For some reason, it did not decide to ring until it was too late and they could not find us unless we were screaming. Dee was chilling in the basement this whole time. He said he felt like he melted into the chair. Eventually, I wake up and I see the front door open and I get so confused. So then I decided to run too and try to find him before the alarm went off. I realized I would not be able to find him and I heard him screaming, sleep to stay alive. So then I started screaming it as well. And eventually I heard him stop. And as soon as that happened, my body fell and just gave up it seemed like. Other people eventually heard us. A group of older teens who knew who we were they said he tripped and just called 911 to try and help. They heard another voice, which was mine, so eventually they started looking for me. They saw me laying in the middle of the road, almost no clothes on, and my body was purple. Their first thought was, he's dead. I do not know how to explain what happened to me, but let's start here. I'm reliving the greatest moments of my life, family there, best friends, my brother, all of them. In every memory, there's a door, a door that gets brighter and brighter as I go through them, as if I'm going up like I'm on the stairway to heaven. As I'm ascending, there's one more door that I need to go through. These gates, beautiful gates, gates of heaven, I believe. And I then see my body laying in the middle of the road, almost no clothes on and body purple, like the girl who found me explained. I see myself and I'm thinking, is this really going to be the end of my life? This is what happens when I die? Then I see a girl walk up to me, start shaking me, screaming, Dami, Dami, don't die please. Then I hear a voice, a loud whisper. As far as I know, it was the voice of God. It says, Dominic, I have a question for you. Do you want to come here with us? Or would you like to try again in this life? I said, please let me stay here. I don't want to go back. I was begging. The voice said, Dominic, 
You are not even close to done with what you are going to do. You're supposed to save, help, and change as many lives as you possibly can. You're not done, Dominic. I said okay. I will try harder in this life. Then I woke up, and the girl was right there. She was talking to me, but I have no clue what she was saying. I just kept saying, No, this is not real. I'm already dead. None of this is real. You are not real. Who are you? She shook me again and pointed her finger like two houses down the road and said, Now is this real? Does that look fake to you? Down the road was multiple ambulances and cop cars surrounded their house, and all I hear is screaming and screaming. The girl took me back to my house and into my room, and I was alone there for a while. I'm just walking around in circles, looking at my pet bearded dragon. He looked so fucking interesting at the time. Then eventually, I just laid down on my bed, and I woke up to, is that him? And just to my wonder, both of my grandparents were standing in my room, asking me so many questions and looking at me. They turned on the light, and what was once my room, turned into the most geometrical room in the world. I have no clue how to explain what my own room looked like. They are still asking me millions of questions it seemed like, and I only heard one main question. What the fuck did they take? I could not talk. I was way too scared. Then they got closer to me, and they were staring at me, I think. They looked like horrific monsters, faces I could never explain. And as they were looking in my eyes, I hear one say, Oh Jesus Christ. The police eventually came to my house and went upstairs to get me, and they started asking thousands of questions. I yelled out, It's all downstairs! Fuck you monsters! Get away from me! So then they take me downstairs, and just to my belief, I see Dee, who looks dead, staring into the ceiling. I start to get confused. They also turn the lights on in the basement, and as soon as they did, Dee explained it hurt his eyes so horribly. And as we are down there, Elle is already in a stretcher being taken to the ER. As I see Dee in the chair, I walk up to him and say, If this is the last time you ever see me, I love you bro. Thank the Lord it was not the last time I saw both of them. Those are my childhood long best friends. Me and Dee are also eventually put on a stretcher. I was able to walk perfectly fine. I kept saying that. Same with Dee, he told me. But they told us both the same thing. This is how they all die. I remember being in the ambulance and they kept taking my pulse. I heard them say, his pulse is going up and down very rapidly. Then, I'm still in the stretcher, and they let me out of it, and I'm put in an ER room next to L, who I saw. His body was like he was being exercised. I'm never gonna forget that picture in my brain. I've seen things much worse, but that one hurts really badly. I remember being in the emergency room, and they put a whole bunch of stickers and cords on me, and it felt and looked like there were snakes biting all over my body. I look at the EKG monitor, and my heartbeat went flat. I saw it go flat, but I was still alive. Then it just went back down over and over again. This whole time, my grandparents are in there with me, with a nurse and a cop watching. They finished the EKG scan quickly, and the cop that was just so fucking eager to ask me millions of questions did so when the nurse left. He was asking me, where is everything? And I told him, I did not know any better. I just kept talking and laughing hysterically at him, saying stuff like, Do you really think you control people? Do 
Do you really even like your job? You're nothing, but what many, many people hate in this world. You suck. I should really spit on your face. Of course, I would never do such a thing. I've been a good kid most of my life. No trouble with any feds. But I didn't know what I was saying. I just said it. If for some odd reason this officer is listening to this story, I truly do apologize for my actions and words towards you and your partners. I also heard Al was giving cops trouble. He was fighting with the cops in the ditch. I do not know anything about that, which is why I have not mentioned it. But back to me. I was in the room laying down, a shirt on my head, talking and talking. And for some reason, I thought it would be the funniest thing in the world if Ella died. I was so convinced that the greatest moments of my life was actually his life. As I look back, I know they were mine. Because first, why would I relive a whole other human being's life? And second, why would my family be in his? It did not make sense to me at the time. I just thought it was all his, and he was going to die. Longer into my stay at the ER, and cops asking me questions, I started asking for a cup of water. Some old nurse had to get it, and it felt like forever when she finally came back with it. I was getting so irritated that I started yelling, Where's my fucking water? I saw the fountain right there. I was so angry. I just wanted water. As soon as I drank the whole cup, I pissed like two gallons, and my grandparents said I pissed my pants multiple times. I felt very embarrassed. I remember seeing L's and D's parents in the hospital. I remember D left first, and I screamed to them, I'm sorry this is all my fault. We just wanted to have fun. I remember they said walking away, It's okay, honey. It was all an accident. I was at the ER for maybe another 10 minutes and went back home. As I was going back home, I just remember everything still seeming so fake. I got home and went into my room. My grandparents checked up on me like every 30 minutes. It was all so fake. It felt as if I was a ghost being led back home. Now it's the 19th. Elle comes back over to apologize after all the things that had happened. I said there was no need to apologize. It was all my fault. We weren't ready. He was with his mom and two little brothers. I felt horrible for his family to see us the way they saw us that night and this morning. It's a really bad feeling. Elle said he stayed most of the night at the hospital with his mom until the trip died down. That's as far as the trip goes. It is July 19th now. I know I'm going to get arrested. So I did what any scared 15 year old would do. I tried to kill myself at like 10 in the morning. I took 30 tabs of acid. I did four lines of the molly. I ate an absurd amount of shrooms, smoked as much weed as I could, and ate the rest of the 2CB, which was maybe under 70 milligrams. It's obvious that I did not die. I do not remember anything that happened after that morning for three months. I remember the DEA coming to my house. I also think the FBI came to arrest me. Within a three month span, I do not remember what had happened. I got out of that daze like three months later. I was in a rehab facility that was horrible for me. I hated it. Today, after that experience, I learned a lot. Now, whenever I take anything at all, I'm afraid to do too much. I'm afraid I'll get kicked right back into that night. And from there, only God knows what would happen. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you to second guess using a hallucinogenic drug.
Objective. Attempt to engage in romantic and or sexual contact with a shadow person for science. For this test, a female or similar entity would be preferred. Substances utilized. Exactly 500 milligrams of diphenhydramine in the form of pink, minuscule pills consisting of 25 milligrams each. Tea of one and one half leaves obtained from a mature Deterioriti specimen steeped for approximately 35 minutes. Substances on standby. Four milligrams of physostigmine and two sterile syringes consisting of two milligrams each. One is to be for emergency use if needed, the other to be used as a backup and or as an additional supplementary dose to be administered by intramuscular injection. One container of 80 caffeine tablets consisting of 200 milligrams each. One container of 60 citicoline caplets consisting of 500 milligrams each. One container of 60 L-carnitine tablets consisting of 500 milligrams each. One container of 30 clonidine tablets consisting of 0.2 milligrams each. Further information. Carried out in a dark room, no light or electricity. Doors and windows locked. Anything sharp or dangerous removed. Assistant has handheld battery-powered illumination device and a journal with two black ink fountain pens. Assistant was given strict instructions not to interfere unless absolutely necessary, to paraphrase my condition and or actions during my experiment into said journal, and to administer the antidote and or required medicines if an emergency should occur. Time and duration of trip. Ingestion, 11.30 p.m. Onset, 12 a.m. Rise, 12.45 a.m. Peak, 2.30 a.m. Fall, 5.35 a.m. Hangover, 6 a.m. to 1.53 p.m. Conclusory outcome, successful. Completion of objectives, successful. Further notes. Throughout this experiment report, the hallucinated entity will be referred to as SE, shadow entity. This experiment report will be in the first person unless otherwise specified in the report. This experiment report is not in direct chronological order. The individual statement should not be assumed to be in any explicitly sequential order. However, the report as a whole is in a relatively chronological order to an appropriate extent. This experiment report contains extremely explicit material. Preface. Ingestion of prepared teas and pills commenced, experiencing slight but barely noticeable pseudo-hallucinations, morphing, flowing, distortions, etc. After one to two hours, I noticed the distortions gradually escalating in intensity. After another minimally relevant chronological period, non-permanent, substance-induced schizophrenia symptoms appear. Objects in central vision freely form and eventually morph into gestalt forms lacking border. Appearance deemed to be of a cascading pattern of ergativity. It gradually advances to actual hallucinations, both auditory and optical. This is when I initiated attempts to cause a shadow entity to manifest. I successfully created the manifestation of an SE of quasi-feminine form. I will now move on to the experiment. Objective. Engage in romantic and or sexual contact with SE. At first, SE is not responsive to communication, including commands. After approximately five minutes, SE starts to respond to simple questions, and its ability to reply improves over time. It eventually is able to hold a basic conversation and accept basic commands. 
This inclination of behavior, akin to higher cognitive functioning, is particularly intriguing and warrants greater research at a future time. The subject has features typically appropriate for the average human female. Somewhat long hair, average mammary size, visible genitals equivalent to a vagina, etc. The subject does not wear any clothing and seems a relatively opaque dark grayish color with a minuscule amount of transparency. Experiment. Willingness to follow commands, C will represent commands and R will represent responses. C. Walk from the north side of the room towards the south side. R. SE proceeds to travel from one side of the room to the opposing side. C. Walk from the south side of the room towards the north side and end at the north-northwest side. R. SE proceeds to travel from standing position on the south side to the north side, while curving appropriately to arrive towards the north-northwest orientation. I now proceed to unfasten my pants and undergarments. Basically, I whip my dick out. C. Walk towards me until you are about two feet away and stand. R. SE walks in my direction and stops approximately one foot in front of me with its front torso facing towards me. C. Very satisfactory. Now stay absolutely motionless so I may test your corporal reality. R. SE does not give affirmation by speech or expression. It obeys command and remains stationary. I now kneel down on one knee, and with my index finger and middle finger, I attempt to manually penetrate its orifice resembling with near perfection a vaginal opening. My fingers penetrate and I'm able to feel vaginal walls, the tactile sensation resembling wet skin. SE makes a vaguely sexual noise upon stimulation. I then remove my finger and attempt to perform cunnilingus on the subject. There is no taste, and it does not seem to produce any lubricant juices, and no actual lubricants have been used, but still, it feels as though it was lubricated. Upon entrance of my tongue, it makes a much more sexual noise than before, and proceeds to lay its hand upon my shoulder, as if to encourage me to continue. I do not oblige. I then proceed to remove my tongue from its orifice and stand up. Next, I begin phase two of testing. C. Now, kneel on your knees and grasp my phallus. R. SE complies. It then proceeds to look up at me, as if it were attempting to act seductive or sultry. C. Very good. Next, proceed to move your hands up and down my penile shaft. R. SE hesitates, and then complies. I can feel stimulation as if it were actually real. Strangely, however, at the same time, there appears to be little, if any, friction. Remember that I have not used any form of lubrication. C. Now, proceed to perform fellatio. R. SE complies. The sensation is practically otherworldly. Its oral cavity is somewhat lukewarm and wet, but again, no actual saliva or lube is left on my penis. I proceed to ejaculate. However, my seminal fluid appears to go through SE as if it suddenly became ethereal, but without any actual change relative to the rest of our bodies. I now start phase three. C. Now, move over onto the bed and lie down flat with your front torso pointed at the ceiling. R. 
Essie attempts to ambulate towards the bed sultrily and proceeds to lie down as requested. It then appears to fondle its bosom while allowing its free hand to rub up and down its leg. I proceed to go to bed and position myself over it. I attempt French kissing with S.E. It succeeds the same feeling of non-existent salivary lubrication like mentioned before. S.E. appears to be deriving some enjoyment from this experience. It sometimes becomes tough to remind me that this is not an actual human. At this point, I black out. For the rest of this experiment report, I'll have to work with what my assistant had recorded. My assistant apparently seems like he would be very great at authoring adult books, judging from the verbose and romantic descriptions. However, for your sake, I will attempt to water it down as much as possible. You're greatly welcome. I succeed in vaginal intercourse with S.E. Coitus stayed strictly in the missionary position. According to my assistant, all that he saw was me violently dry humping the bed while grasping the pillows. After perceived ejaculation, and of course, the semen went on to the bedding, my assistant informed me that I then rolled over facing the ceiling and proceeded to light an imagined cigarette. I then spent 35 minutes whispering sweet nothings, presumably into the ear of my shadowy lover. After this, I passed out. This concludes my attempts at reporting the results of my experience, written under the pseudonym Isopropanol. It was December 22, 2015, an unforgettable date that marks a turning point in my life. I had withdrawn from the university semester in October after worsening depression and withdrawal. I was a mess at home and spent some time hospitalized. By December, I had grown used to my medicine and was pulling through but sought escape at any opportunity I got. Whether it was to escape the reality that I had somewhat burned out or to just make me feel something good for a little while, I don't know. The reddish-yellow caps of Amanita muscaria had been absolutely a flush in the grassy areas of my neighborhood. Every day, I rode my bike and I would pass them. As a semi-experienced psilocybe cubensis picker, I made up my mind to try one once I confirmed its identity. This occurred on the morning of the 22nd at around 11 a.m. While on a bike ride, I picked three medium caps and ate them raw. The taste was nutty and quite appealing. After I finished, I returned home, showered, and went to run errands with my father and sister. After around 60 minutes, I began to notice closed-eye visuals. An almost zooming tunnel made of fragmented black triangles that was becoming more vivid as time went on. I still felt largely in control and had no worries. My parents suggested we go to lunch at a local restaurant and I agreed. As we crossed over the bridge connecting our town to the beachside, a rapid progression and the dissociation occurred. The apparent frame rate of my vision dropped considerably. It was more akin to staring at a wall while snapshots are repeatedly glued over the previous one. My life broke down into five distinct stages that I cannot recall and the edges of my vision were darkening. We sat down at a table. I was uneasy and knew the end was near. I ordered a coke. 
That's strange. I ordered a Coke, not water. That is Coke. Oh yeah, sorry. After this exchange, my family was cued into something amiss. They were no stranger to my substance abuse at this point and immediately asked what I was on. I denied it and then spoke the words of Amanita muscaria mushrooms. To the emergency room we go. The car ride back is one that haunts me to this day. I have tried very hard to improve myself and how I view the world, due to the damage I suspect. Although she denies, this inflicted on my teenage sister. I began to fall asleep in the car shortly after leaving the restaurant. My parents demanded that I stay awake, and I do so. What follows is a bit blurry. I develop a fantasy that due to all of my terrible actions over the past few months, I was being punished through the removal of my ability to speak. I suspect this was due to me reading Midnight's Children at the time, which features a related theme. My vision was completely blank, and this I perceived as my eternal silence. That is until frame of reality start intermittently flashing through darkness. I thought I was nearing a reality one out of an infinite number of ones, in which somehow I was able to null out all of my actions and regrets, avoiding the perpetual darkness of silence and redeeming myself back to normality. I meant to say accept. I screamed the sentence over and over in the car, suddenly and without warning. I believed I could somehow invalidate past actions by posing them as hypothetical rather than facts. I reached out with my arms trying to communicate grabbing my mother's hair and grazing my father's hand with my teeth. I heard my sister crying. We arrived at the hospital and the nurses I believe were already outside, but I'm not sure. I emerged, or maybe was pulled from, the car and acted aggressively towards the nurses somehow. Maybe I lunged or tried running, but according to my father, this prompted one of them saying, Whoa, calm down! I've read in a few reports on these fungi that aggression is sometimes encountered in the dissociated state. I was taken to an ER bed, restrained. I urinated myself after my clothes were cut off of me. I was given a very large amount of Ativan and Haloperidol. I have memories of doctors telling me to wake up and me immediately responding. Flashes sometimes come to me of my father on the phone with my mother talking about the Christmas vacation we had planned turned out to be an okay, but expectedly, rocky experience. I started coming to around 1am. I was dazed, and my hearing seemed to be slightly sped up, as if you were playing a tape at 1.5 times its normal speed. This phenomenon lasted throughout the next day. A female doctor, who coincidentally, I had seen before when I was probably 15 and in high school for a sinus infection came in my room and asked if I had intended to kill myself. I said no, but that I didn't care whether I'd had or not. My father had apparently fought to make sure I was not placed in the psychiatric ward and was able to return home. I am quite grateful for this, as it prevented the entire Christmas holiday from being totally marred by my recklessness. On the drive home in the dark, I told my dad to pull over on a wooded street in my neighborhood. We walked a short distance in, and I pulled a bag of marijuana and some lighters out of a hollow and handed it over to him. Assholes, he said later as he flushed it down the toilet after asking who had given it to me. The next day was quite surreal, 
Our plans to go to a cabin with my older sister and her husband in the mountains were still on. I apologized as much as I could. My father drove me to see my therapist in the morning. Along the drive, I noticed the sound speeding effect in the music on the radio. My father repeatedly asked me about my heart and respiration, afraid I was mistaken about what I ate and would suffer some sort of mushroom poisoning. My therapist was consoling and probably not harsh enough on me. There probably has not been a day to go by when I don't replay the events described here. I spent most of the summer of 2016 away and back at university trying to make sense of these and other actions that just didn't seem to fit with the person I saw myself to be. My parents have been supportive beyond what I would expect and are the main reason I pulled through and didn't do any permanent damage to myself. Dealing with the fact that there is a version of myself that could inspire such reckless abandonment terrifies me. I don't recommend anyone try this drug. I may have been okay if I had fallen asleep in the car and drifted off until the effects had diminished. Escape isn't worth a nightmare. I was prescribed 10 milligrams Stillnox, known as Ambien in America, for insomnia. At that time, it was my first encounter with this drug, and I had never heard of it before. I was trying to get some benzos off of my doctor, Serapax or Mogadin, or even Valium, but I have a history of addiction, so he prescribed me the Stillnox instead. He said it was safe and not addictive, so I took the script and got the pills but I just didn't take this drug seriously. I thought it would be like some of that herbal shit, like valerian or something. How very wrong I was. When I got home, I took four of the pills, 40 milligrams, because I thought the prescribed dose of one pill would do nothing. Kind of like the prescribed dose of Valium is usually five to 10 milligrams, but I need to take 40 milligrams to get high. I drank this with one glass of weak wine and went to bed. I had no other drugs in my system. This is where it all went very wrong indeed. I closed my eyes and in what seemed like an instant, I opened them and was somewhere else. I thought I must be still dreaming because I was in my car near the highway on-ramp, parked sideways in the middle of the road, and this tall blonde woman was by my window, screaming at me. What are you doing on the road? You shouldn't be driving. I remember thinking, what a weird dream, and I nodded back off again. I opened my eyes again, and I was on the Narrows Bridge, which is about 50 kilometers from my last position at the on-ramp. I was stopped, but my car's front end was mashed into the rear end of the car in front. Not major damage, but serious enough. People were surrounding my car, absolutely screaming their heads off at me, and I thought, hmm, what a weird dream, and I nodded off again. Then, I woke up in a police car, a little more back to reality, looked around, and said, what the hell am I doing here? The police were actually quite friendly, and told me everything. It still felt like a dream, but I was more alert, and decided to do a reality check. Ow! I slapped myself and could feel it. I started to freak. The police called me down and I explained to them about the sleeping pills and going to bed. 
The police thought that I was on heroin or acid or something because the alcohol tested me and got an almost null reading. So they took me to the hospital to have urine and blood tests for drugs. Luckily, I tested negative for drugs and negative for benzos, morphine, and other nasty prescription drugs simply because all I took was still Nox. They didn't have a test for Ambien and because the drug was relatively new to Australia, it was not a drug that was illegal to use while driving, so the police couldn't charge me with anything. Later I heard I caused a quite little excitement for this small city. I even made it on the news. Apparently, I had been driving down the highway for 50 kilometers, 30 miles, going about 5 kilometers an hour in a 100 kilometer per hour zone. I was driving all over the place, in all four lanes, cars narrowly missing me. I caused a huge traffic jam. This was during a busy part of the day and pissed a lot of people off. If I hadn't rear-ended that car, I probably would have kept on going. The next day, I retrieved the car. The damage wasn't too bad, but the sides of the car were also dented and scraped. I must have been bouncing off the guard railings. There was about $2,000 in damage to my car, $1,500 to the other car. I have tried a 20 milligram ambient dose recently, had hallucinations, and really cool, lucid dreaming. On a depressing spring night, I consumed a powerful dose of both psilocybin and dextromethorphan. I found myself eagerly awaiting the trip that would follow. About 30 minutes after my dosing, the common effects of both drugs began to take their course. This was a new combination to me, though as many times before I felt it to be under my control. The psilocybin brought on the usual change of perspective, causing my mind to race with unfathomable thoughts. Halos of various colors surrounded the lighting in the room. My vision became distorted, transforming my surroundings into a world of constant motion. This wasn't new for me. As my mind attempted to adjust, the DXM was taking effect. My awareness seemed to diminish. I acknowledged the state I was in, for the world became a dream before my eyes. With each passing moment, I felt my ego slip away. Understanding of time was clouded, and eternity would pass by, yet when I checked the clock, only minutes had passed. Motor skills slowed, reducing the ability to comprehend that which is complex. As the visuals continued, I felt a deep, rising emotional pain. Upon recognizing this, my soul filled with fear. Though the world around me was truly sublime, a sick hatred took hold of my heart. As the seconds passed, I could feel the ability to distinguish happiness and despair being swept away. My heart raced quicker and quicker. I rose to my feet, attempting to grasp any strand of sanity that still dwelt in my mind. My body sensations were overpoweringly euphoric, contradicting the battle that was raging within my own mind. Strangely enough, I found myself laughing at the situation. I had endured bad trips before but this was unlike any other. As I continued to wrestle with the ability to think logically, something strange occurred. I felt extremely hungry. 
Struggling to maintain coordination, I made my way upstairs towards the kitchen. The journey was difficult, but I reached my destination. The first object to pierce my vision was a box of many colors. On it was a strange bird I recognized as Toucan Sam. Reaching for this, I stumbled, but managed to stay afoot. The deep feeling of emotional pain increased, surging through my veins. It was coming. I grabbed what I needed to complete my meal, which included milk, a bowl, a spoon, and the box with many colors. I could feel the drugs reaching their peak. Somehow, some way, I made it back to my original setting. Exactly how I did this is a blur in my memory. By this point, my visuals were flooded with strange, geometric shapes that would constantly change. I began to notice that I could not monitor my sensations and thoughts anymore, and that random emotions could spring forth at any given moment. I started hearing noises of both high and low-pitched extremities. Knowing that the pain I was feeling was inevitable, I became extremely frustrated. Thoughts and visions of painful memories came into view. I knew somewhere deep within me lay hatred and anger, particularly towards my loved ones. Why these feelings arose, or where they came from, is still unknown to me. I could feel my sanity slipping more and more as the resentments boiled towards anger. I hated them for all they had done to me, for all the times they had called the police on me, for all the times they yelled at me, for all the times I was belligerent and tried to take on my dad with no success. At this point, the DXM seemed to be in full effect disabling any chance I had to gain control. Body and mind no longer worked in harmony. I was on autopilot and there was nothing I could do to prevent it. With one final act of expression, one final act of emotion, anger gave way to a flash of light. Waves of colors danced in my vision unpredictably as I rushed towards the stairs. As I moved, no feeling penetrated my legs giving me the impression that I was nothing but a ghost. After what seemed like an eternity, my flight led me to a new environment I now recognize as being my upstairs. Terror filled my mind, leading me into a bizarre frenzy of ripping my clothes. I tore at my skin as I entered a dark hallway that led to my parents' room. Bursting forth through their door, I screamed and yelled, but no sound filled my ears. Upon entering their room, my memory is a blur. Sometime after this, I made my way towards my room, though I do not remember doing so. In an act of hatred, I began tearing at my wall, ripping posters off and devouring them like a wild beast. The only intention I had at this point was making them hurt for all they had done to me. Behind me, Two figures emerged with a look of true fear that even I could recognize past the radical visuals my mind was experiencing. As they approach me, my memory fades to black. Everything seemed to go quiet. Whispers would come and go. Voices were faded, but recognizable. After an eternity, streams of light filled my vision. Beautiful colors exploded in a ray that cannot be adequately put into words. 
I couldn't recognize where I was, but it did not bother me. I could feel that I was moving, but my body remained perfectly still. Objects in the distance grew larger. As the moments passed, my anger receded into a feeling of warmth and content. My body felt like an ocean, with waves of pleasure pulsating through every nerve. Where am I? I did not know. Is this heaven? I don't know. As questions filled my mind, the objects in the distance now moved past me, revealing more of them ahead. As eons passed, the streams of light began to seize. Reality seemed to slow as the tracers in my view returned to their original source. It wasn't until now that I realized I had been traveling. The sound of an idling automobile came to an unnatural stop. Above, white and red colors blended to create a candy cane-like appearance. Though severely intoxicated, I could still recognize the words that shined above. I was at the hospital. Next to me, a path emerged as the car door opened. The same figures that I saw earlier stood in my view. My dad pulled me out of the car and into a world of darkness. The next thing I remember, I was moving down a white hallway. My surroundings were unfamiliar to me. My heart began to race. I couldn't seem to grasp an understanding of what was happening. The hospital was a frightening setting for the situation I had put myself in. My visuals were intense, but not nearly as out of control as they were earlier. Instead of being spread out and random, they were precise and very real. Knowing that my visuals had changed, I presumed that the effect was wearing off. This was a mistake. As I made my way into a white room, I felt a sudden loss of control. I could feel my ability to keep a linear flow of thought impossible. It felt like hours had passed, even days. In that moment of thought, I looked around my environment for a source of time. As I reached my goal, fear sunk deep into my mind. It was 1.05 AM. This meant that I had only taken the drugs an hour ago. This also meant that they had not yet reached their peak as I had assumed earlier. I felt my stomach turn. I continued to look around the room searching for something, anything, to help me. As my eyes met my mother's, something died deep within me. What have I done? As the minutes passed, I could feel myself becoming more and more intoxicated. The intensity of my visuals returned like a sick memory. I could feel my heart pace faster and faster. For the first time in my life, I knew without a doubt that I would die. I closed my eyes. Will I be forgiven? Through the doorway came a monster in blue. What happened next is difficult to remember, but images flash in and out of my memory. I was drinking a sick chalky liquid that was dark as midnight, a man in white asking me questions I could not answer, the sound of my father's voice in the background. What happened next, I will attempt to describe to the best of my knowledge. I lay in a state of disassociation and incomprehension. Somewhere in a fading background came a sound of repetitive beating. 
It grew louder and louder until it lived within me. I recognized it as a heart monitor recording someone's pulse. It was abnormally quick. At that moment I realized that it was my own heartbeat. Somewhere between consciousness and insanity, I became truly afraid. Suddenly, I could feel my own heart beating in sync with the sound that filled my ears. I looked down and saw my chest thumping hard. My view moved down to my arms and legs. I could see the skin between my wrist and my palms beating viciously. At the moment I made the realization that I had three hearts in my body, each one pumping in a sickening rhythm. Life seemed to lose its value as I saw my skin literally change to a deep shade of purple. My stomach churned in tune with the agony that I was living. The room around me grew exceedingly bright and then in an instant transformed into a dim nightmare. It was so wrong. After exhausting every attempt to devoid myself of this pain, I bowed hopelessly towards my maker. For the next few hours, I spent my time praying to God. Throughout this time, the heart monitor would constantly shift. The harder I prayed, the quicker my pulse went. If I ceased to pray, I would feel my pulse slow. This all happened in a manner too frightening to put into words. I can't explain it. It was a constant battle for my soul. There would be moments of the most unreasonable thoughts entering my mind. As I lay there, I would stare at the various objects around the room. I saw cameras and I believed that because of my desperate vocal prayers that everyone around the world was watching me battle for my life through the power of prayer. The drama was constant and the pressure exceeded anything I had ever experienced. All eyes were on me. The only way I can attempt to describe it is in an emergency room setting with doctors desperately trying to save a life. The drama where life and death enter my heart in a surge of pure emotion. I saw myself on the front page of every newspaper in the country titled, The Boy Who Battled for His Soul, Conscious the Entire Time. It was truly a strange experience. I felt a nobleness flow through me but the constant anxiety for my life is something that I will never forget. As time passed, my heart rate grew slower. The slow ticking was like an endless nightmare. After all the praying, after all the dedication I had put forth into escaping this agony, I failed. My heart stopped sometime around 4 in the morning and permanently placed my mind into a state that I still battle to this day. What was happening defied and rejected all spiritual and religious principles that I believed. When someone dies, their spirit leaves their body. They enter into a new world of radical possibilities. So why, I asked myself, did I still remain in my body? As I deeply pondered this, I felt my body rotting away. Powerful fumes filled my nostril, a smell I can never forget. My parents returned into the room and began telling me how upset they were that I had died. They spoke of a stink that filled the air. I presume this to be the stink of death. The room was filled with a disturbing quietness. The kind of silence after a team of doctors desperately try to revive a dying patient, but to no avail. I no longer existed. 
I no longer held the gift known as life. I was a walking corpse who had been left to rot even after the process of death. As my parents began to ask me questions, I laid there miserably. My memory turns into a blur at this moment, but returns shortly after. I remember repeatedly asking my parents if they would forgive me for dying or if I was really dead. The only answer I got was if I'd like to be dead after what I put them through. This answer brought in more silence. The once intense visuals that flooded my vision were now mild waves of distortion. The connection between mind and body returned to me. As time, sanity, and sobriety rushed through my mind, I grew extremely confused. I turned to my parents to see the pain in their eyes. In all honesty and desperation, I begged my parents to tell me if I really had died. It was quiet for a moment. The desperation in my voice must have reached my parents' minds. My mother spoke. I was not dead. At that moment, I felt the life returning inside me. My vision seemed to clear. The colors of life shined brightly as the first rays of the morning sun shined through the windows outside my room. This was the first time I truly understood the value of life. As I lay there in gratitude and shame, everything seemed to make sense. I was emotionally overwhelmed. The bizarre experience I believed to happen that night never really happened at all. The truth was, I had overdosed and my parents had driven me to the emergency room due to my behavior the night before. According to my parents, I was up all night mumbling words they could not understand. The illusions that these drugs brought on is something that has scared my soul. The entire night, my heart was beating slightly faster than normal, but it never ceased to beat as I thought. My skin had never turned purple. There were no cameras, no newspapers, nothing. I was alive and I had been the entire night. God had never left me. He was there the entire time. Day 1 Two of my friends and I drove to California and got a hotel near Six Flags Magic Mountain. We brought nine hits of acid, which was in the form of Smarties, about 3-4 grams of crack, and some 5-MeO DMT, which my friends didn't tell me about until it was too late. We also had a wheelchair, a big blanket, a crack pipe, a lighter, a small notepad with a pen, and money for tickets. Before this experience, I had only done acid once with two hits. I tried crack once, about a quarter gram, and other than that, I've only smoked weed. I hadn't even been on a roller coaster before this day. We were all in a pretty good mood, but I was nervous because I was the least experienced one with drugs and amusement parks. Day 2, 7 a.m. We wake up, each take three hits of acid, and eat a small meal from the hotel. We load the crack pipe and leave for the park. 7.28 We get to Six Flags and start waiting in line. I start feeling nervous and jittery, but my friends don't feel anything yet. 7.46 We finally get to the front of the line and the acid has begun to kick in for all of us. Visuals start about the same time we get through into the park. 8.02 
We arrive at Superman Ride of Steel and start waiting. People offer us to cut, but we were just going to wait for the acid to kick in a little more, so we stay in the back of the line. 8.39 Arrive about two people towards the front. My friend gives me a cue to take a hit from the crack pipe. I hide the pipe under the big blanket and take a huge toke. I tried to hold it in, but my head started feeling way bigger and uncomfortable, so I blow out the smoke. I turn to look at my friends and almost go blind. I see extremely bright lights and noises seem to blend in this frightening groan. I started wondering if this really was the crack reacting with the acid, but I couldn't keep a train of thought going. 8.42 They say we can get on the ride. My friends have to pretty much drag me onto the ride as I'm gripping the wheelchair as if my life depended on it. I keep slipping in and out of reality, wondering if I'm really on the ride. The ride starts. 8.43 I just lose it. I feel like I'm going 10,000 miles per hour through a void. I start screaming and crying. All my muscles tighten up and I sweat like crazy. We get to the top and I start crying. We roll back down and wait to get off the ride. 8.46 My friends quickly get me onto the wheelchair and push me away from the crowds. I look down and notice I've wet my pants and puked all over myself, which I don't even remember doing. My face is still pouring with sweat and tears. My friends try to calm me down, giving me a soda and telling me everything will be okay. 8.55 My friends tell me that they mixed in some 5-MeO-DMT with the crack. I asked what it was, they said toad venom and explained it. They had to repeat a lot of stuff because their voices were distorted and I had to hear things two or three times to understand it. 9 o'clock I feel better because I feel the 5-MeO-DMT wearing off. The acid is still running strong and I still feel dirty from the body fluids. I see a crowd of people and I think they're laughing and pointing at me. They start to come closer and I tell my friends to avoid the crowd. They look over and told me that they were actually walking away. 9.12 My friends are still talking to me and I asked what to do about my clothes. They said, this might happen, we are prepared. They told me that there was one spare change of clothes that would fit any of us under the wheelchair. I thank them and now I am a lot happier. 9.20 We go to where nobody can see us. I stand up and bring the clothes into a bathroom, hoping nobody would be in there. There was only one person, and they looked at me, but didn't say anything about the puke or the pee. I quickly go into a stall and start undressing. After what seemed to be four hours, I finally get all my clothes on and join my friends. 9.35 I ask how long I took. He said 15 minutes. I put the dirty clothes and blanket under the wheelchair. I looked up at one of my friend's faces and stare. His freckles jump out of his head. Then his face melts, turns to pixels, and other various things. He said, be careful dude, your pupils are so dilated. 9.40 I asked my friend to ride the wheelchair. He said, okay, it's not too dirty. Walking felt great. I apologized to my friends for wasting time getting dressed and whatnot but they said it was cool. They were sorry for giving me 5-MeO-DMT without permission. 
We were all now in a mood where we feel like we need to apologize. The rest of the day, we went on a few more rides, and my friends found places to take hits from the pipe before going on them. We each took one hit from the pipe, and each went on a different ride while on the 5MEO DMT. I didn't go on any more roller coasters, but I did go on some other rides. When I waited for my friends, I walked around trying to avoid people. I was very paranoid. Day 3. I was very sore, especially my neck. This was probably because I tightened my muscles on the roller coasters. I will never go on a roller coaster or take 5-MeO-DMT again, purposely, but I still might do acid to confront my problems. Final note. I wouldn't recommend doing any drugs on roller coasters unless you like very intense stuff. I wouldn't recommend bringing a crack pipe to such a public place, much less smoking out of it. I was very lucky, some people may say unlucky, that I didn't get caught. This was my experience with some cannabis and nitrous oxide last night. Headphones already in, full box of nangs in my pocket. I excitedly rush up the old staircase to the upstairs office. I close the door behind me and take a seat, preparing to have a cone of some really dank weed. I start thinking about the experience I'm about to have while I exhale and rush two pack of canisters into the whipped cream gun. I load one in and follow quickly with the second. A bit of gas always escapes. I wonder how much I lose from that. I start some gentle breathing exercises to prepare myself to hold the gas in. I slowly pump the trigger while holding the gun to my mouth. I inhale steadily while allowing some fresh air to come in through my nose. I hold the hidden deep for as long as I can. I try to breathe in as much oxygen as I can on top of the breath, really pushing my lungs to their edge. I can feel the effects coming on quite quickly. My body starts to feel warm and light, and my sense of self slightly disintegrates as I feel the rush of the waves slowly roll over me. A strong sense of warm, encompassing euphoria is felt. My visual field begins to coalesce into the regular patterns I experience and almost shimmer over my field of view, a repeating pattern of vibration. There is a repeating sound, not like a neighing that my friends report, but I hear a shimmering sound, almost like the sound of fairy dust or something. It almost always reminds me of Kirby. Things begin looking warp as I finish off the gas. I look down, slightly disappointed, thinking, was that it? While still coming down, I pack another one in, followed closely by a second. This time, I prepare a third, but only twist the bulb just enough so it doesn't pierce the nang yet. As I begin to hit the canister, the effects come on incredibly quickly. This time, it's intense. The euphoria was amazing. The body high felt incredible. I was relishing the experience of feeling strong waves walk up and down my body. I could hear that sound, the shimmering of the effect. 
This sound kind of makes me feel as though I'm in this lobby. This in-between world which connects our physical reality to a more true and simple version. Yet we get stuck in that lobby because of our physical beliefs that hold us back. I pierce that third nang and quickly breathe the gas in. I was definitely peeking at this point and wasn't holding the gas in, but rather quickly inhaled and exhaled the entirety of the bulb. I felt a sense of deja vu that I had a very similar high when I was on MD and nitrous. I started thinking about that experience and that's when everything stopped. My train of thought was no longer mine. My sense of self entirely disintegrated any understanding that I existed in that moment anymore. I reached the end. I had hit the precipice of reality where I'd gone so deep, I got stuck in the infinitely repeating pattern of our existence. The experience was physically painful. I could feel my neck being hit badly and I could even hear the sound of wood hitting me or the sound of a piece of plywood smacking against things. What I was hearing made sense to me at the time and it felt so similar to what I heard in another experience so it didn't necessarily alarm me at the time. What I could see was an incredibly strong visual hallucination of basically the end of reality repeating and repeating and repeating. This experience was generally scary and intense, but the strong sense of deja vu allowed me to step out into my more rational mind and I realized that all I can do at this point is just ride it and enjoy it. As soon as I had this realization, I noticed that my physical body felt like it was falling backwards, which I allowed it to do. I fell into a filing cabinet really bad and I quickly realized that I'd stood up in my experience and fallen over about three or four times. My glasses and headphones had been flung off in the experience and I stopped myself from falling, from giving in to the experience so fully. As I was coming to, I was so shocked with what I had done. I panicked slightly, but quickly grounded myself by lying down. I quickly realized that the cleaner downstairs was calling out to me so I yelled out that I was okay. I quickly got up, afraid that people may come and walk into the office and see the mess around me. In my drug-induced haze, I had fallen onto the desk in front of me, somehow shattering my small bong, getting the water everywhere, all over the laptop and printer. Everything had been knocked off, and there were nangs and papers all over the floor. Furniture had been pushed over where I had fallen, a hole was kicked into one of the walls. The place was literally trashed. I allowed myself to come down, sitting in the office chair and just taking it all in. This experience was essentially what I had been chasing and it felt as though it was this huge cosmic slap. Like my higher self was almost saying, these drugs are not safe. Which is interesting because when I was coming up for my intense experience, I told myself that if I can buy this drug in a supermarket, it must be pretty safe. What was so surreal to me was that I thought I had thrown myself around the office, thinking that this was the experience. After thinking about it, I realized that I was so high, I was almost unconscious. And when I had my trip, it triggered some anxious response where my reaction was to stand up. Due to the intensity of the high, 
I was unable to coherently navigate my body, which basically meant I kept falling over. The trippy part is that I knew I was falling because I could see it, but everything I was hearing, feeling, seeing, and experiencing fed back into my subconscious that this was my reality now, and all I could do was accept it and allow it to happen. Realizing that I was falling was very disorienting. I couldn't remember standing up, and I had no idea how I caused so much havoc around me. I was certainly shaken up. I had not expected a trip this hard, literally rivaling the combination of LSD and nitrous that I've had in the past. This experience will be one of the most intense I have ever had. In my exploration of the drug recently, I noticed that the sense of deja vu makes me believe I'm having the same experience, but it's this version of events this time. It's an incredibly strong feeling, and I love experiencing and being in that space. It makes me feel as though I'm uncovering truth about reality and the true nature of everything. However, following this experience, I think I might take a break. The most surreal thing that happened was that I had experienced this trip before, even hearing the wood smacking and feeling as though my head hurt. Yet the first time I experienced this, I was sitting the whole time and just scared that I was stuck in the edge of reality forever. This time, however, in my more experienced and prepared wisdom, my thoughts could follow a more rational line of thinking. When I came out of the experience, I felt as though I had just time traveled from that first trip and that I was finally coming out of the trip now. It could have been years that passed in just a moment. I really did lose myself in that experience for a moment, feeling as though this was it. This was the final experience. Yet in my drug-induced haze, I had trashed my office at work, bruised my body and my shins, hips, leg, neck, and head, and pulled a muscle in my rotator cuff, which made it very unpleasant driving home afterwards. I went to visit a friend who I told about the experience. It was interesting talking about it. Spending time with him, I noticed I kept spacing out to the trip again, thinking about what just happened. Then I would realize and come to and have no idea what we were even talking about. I left after a couple of hours, but was still feeling off. So I drove down to the water and messaged some of my close friends about the trip to try and integrate everything. I finished off the night by meditating briefly next to the water before heading home. I have taken Lyrica about 10 times altogether. All of the previous times I took it, I took between 400 and 1000 milligrams. The times I took it in larger amounts, I experienced a euphoric feeling. This was similar to ecstasy in my opinion. I had a lot of trouble with my motor skills and in some cases, communicating. It was an extremely weird feeling. There were even a few times where I hallucinated, not just tripping, but completely out of it. My husband said I was actually sitting on my bed, moving things around in the air that were not there. I don't remember any of this. I also had times where I blacked out. My husband said he had a lot of trouble waking me up and in my mind, I never went to sleep. I had not taken any for a while. About a month ago, I got some more Lyrica. 
Currently, I take clonopin for anxiety, smoke marijuana, and I take opiates occasionally for surgery pain and back pain. Though I was only under the influence of tramadol and the Lyrica at the time, I only took 300 milligrams to start and then took 150 milligrams more about two hours later. During this time, I had also taken a total of 500 milligrams of tramadol. I was at a friend's house and playing a board game with my husband. I was reading a question and then had a quick, massive jolt through my body. My husband asked if I was okay and I said I was fine and thought it was a chill. All I remember is waking up on the floor and my friend asking if I knew who she was. I couldn't talk, but after a few seconds, I said my husband's name. I realized I was wrong and managed to say my friend's name. I laid there for a second and then tried to sit up. My husband told me that after I twitched, I flew back, hit my head on the windowsill, and went into a massive grand mal seizure. He woke up my friends and they called an ambulance. They checked me out and then took my husband and me to the hospital. When I was in the hospital, I had a second grand mal seizure. This time, I could feel the seizure coming on. I began getting twitches and jolts throughout my body repeatedly and closer in succession. My husband went to get the doctors to check if they could give me anything to calm down. I was very anxious and having a panic attack. Soon after they came back, I began to have the second seizure, which lasted three to four minutes. During the seizure, the doctor gave me Ativan intravenously and put me on oxygen. My husband also saw them preparing equipment for defibrillation. Luckily, they did not need to use it. Slowly I came to with the same memory loss and increased confusion. The doctor asked me the next day why I had Lyrica in my system and I told him for pain. I now have to take an anti-seizure medicine that makes it so I can't drive for a whole year. My jaw dislocated when I went into the first seizure and it still hurts very bad. My head is always hurting and I have to go to a neurologist to see if the seizures have done any permanent damage. For about two weeks after returning from the hospital, I experienced short-term memory loss and bouts of confusion, forgetting simple words and generally having some difficulty communicating at times. During this time, I also had minor difficulty with balance and general motor function. The only other drug I was under the influence of the night I had the seizures was tramadol, which I have taken for two years to treat pain. In retrospect, I believe it is possible that I was having smaller seizures from the Lyrica when using it in the past. It was a really fun high, but it's not worth all of this.